But Christmas has come, and, you know, we were in this Advent seating, and Advent is about sort of where we practice waiting. And for, for, for most of us, it's, it's more than practice waiting or imagine waiting or sort of put us, ourselves in the text in a way that we're getting in touch what it must have meant to wait. Like, most of us can pinpoint an area of our life where we know Christ has come, but in our life, the fullness of that sort of coming of Christ has not yet arrived, right? Like we're all waiting for something. And so we've been in that season. And then Christmas has come where we celebrate the arrival of Christ, that Christ has come and that everything that we need is found in this baby, in this manger, in this out of the way, like country town. So it's amazing. So that's where we are in the church calendar. And then we find ourselves here, like today, on the threshold between 2023 and 2024. And I want to talk a little bit about that. Like how, how do we transition this threshold? How do we step from 2023 into 2024? What, what, what do we do with that? What do we hold with that? What do we, what do we need to focus on with that? And, and I think I have a few ideas that hopefully will be helpful to some of us. And if not, you can move on with your year. Um, but this is the time of year where we're setting goals, resolutions, intentions. How many of you are doing that already? Like you, you have an idea of goals, Yeah, come on, you have intentions for the year. You're making some resolutions. And I want to say, like, I want to affirm it, because sometimes there can be pushback to setting goals and intentions and resolutions, and there's all kinds of, you know, semantics, arguments about, should I have goals or intentions or resolutions, and I do this and don't do that, and the way we talk about it and all that sort of stuff, and we feel guilt and shame and all these things, and I'm not here to get into any of that. But I do want to affirm, like, I think it's good that we're taking our lives seriously, I think it's good that we're picking up responsibility for our life, for the gift that God has given us, and that with some intention, we're setting goals or we're setting intentions, we're making resolutions about how we want maybe this year to be different than the year before. And I think even wanting this year to be different than the year before, right, it doesn't take a whole lot of hermeneutical gymnastics to call that sort of thing repentance, that there are some things we want to turn from and some things we want to turn toward. And we want to do that on purpose, not by accident. Right, or I think about goal setting. I mean, the scriptures say it this way, like my people perish or my people are destroyed for a lack of vision. That so many of us even can point to seasons in our life, and maybe you find yourself in one of those seasons right now where we languish simply because we have no vision for our life. We don't have a sense of purpose. We're not sure why we're here. And beyond that, the surface of it is we don't even know what to do or where to go. We find ourselves with a lack of vision for our life. We're paralyzed by fear, maybe stuck in the mud, but we, we have no vision. We don't move forward and we, right? Like you can, you can find those areas of your life. 
or intentions. I love intentions. I mean, that sounds like discipleship to me. Let's get into the desires of our heart. Let's let those things shape how we're gonna live and move and have our being in the world. One of the ways we like to say it is because intentionality is the process of becoming. In other words, you, you, you will become what you desire. And, and those things will be shaped by how you practice and live in the world. So goals, intentions, love it. And can we as followers of Jesus step deeper into some ideas around goals and, and intention and vision? Would that be okay for us? Come on, I love it. Because, where do I want to go first? Because I think there's at least two ditches we can get in here. I'm going to go two ditches and then a question. I think one ditch is this. We can just, again, we can find ourselves without any vision of life. We can find ourselves paralyzed by fear, not moving forward, stuck. And I want to say, in a sense, that's okay. And what I mean by that's okay is that the grace of God isn't going to shame you or guilt you for being stuck. And that the love of God isn't going, the needle of God's love for you and acceptance of you and the belonging that you have in God isn't going to be moved by whether or not you are stuck and have vision or don't have vision. That stuff is unchanging. You can be stuck and God loves you. You can be in the mud and God desires you and will be in the mud with you. And I think God will wait there with us far longer than any of us in our own human understanding are comfortable with or will sit with others in their mess. God loves you in your stuckness, in your lack of vision. The needle isn't moving. And, 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 and. Because life, can, can, we, can we have lots of room? Can we have lots of space to hold lots of things? Can we have that sort of spiritual and emotional intelligence that multiple things can be happening and true and all at once? Does that make sense? Because God can love us in our stuckness and love us enough to lead us beyond our stuckness. That the grace of God has, a, has more of a vision for your life than being stuck right now where we are, where you are. And so maybe even this year, it's a year to receive the grace of God to get unstuck from some places you've been stuck. That it's not something you're gonna muster up in yourself. It's not gonna be a checklist of boxes it's, it's, it's going to be the grace of God coming to you and the place in your, in, your pla- in your low place, in your place of hurt and disappointment, in your place of fear, in the place where you need courage, in the place where you need trust to be healed and restored. And maybe what God has for, for you and for some of us this year is, is, a, is a grace to get unstuck. Because the grace of God is that, is, is that big, right? It's not only that God 
loves us unconditionally. And again, the needle's not moving by what we do or don't do. But that love, that grace is empowerment. It's real empowerment to then get unstuck and live the life that God has called us to live. Second Peter, I've given you everything you need to participate in the divine nature, to live a godly life of da 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 So there's that. Here's the other side. Here's the other ditch of goal setting. Because for some of us, I, I, I want us to get unstuck this year. I do. But I think sometimes what you can hear from me, because my core message is God loves you no matter what, is that we don't ever have to move or change. And I'll sit with you for as long as you need to sit. And if you never change, you never change. And God's love will be there. And, and we're going to be committed as a pastoral team to sit there with you. I just want you to know that like the grace of God wants us to get unstuck and move. That's just not my core message. I, I speak from the other side. I speak out of my core message. Here's, here's the other ditch though with like, and I'm just using goals. I want to speak to our culture. I, I, I want to speak through the gospel to our culture. Is that okay? So this is what some, that's like church culture stuff. We get stuff. Some of us are goal setting out of a compulsion to meet other people's expectations of us. You have goals and you have intentions, but those goals and intentions are not rooted and grounded in the image of God in your life or what you've created to be or to do. They are rooted and grounded in fear as well. Fear of not meeting their expectations, fear of their rejection, fear that you're not gonna be enough, fear that you're gonna be too much. Fear that if you slow down and have to hear yourself and your own voice and your own stuff, that it's going to be so devastating and disappointing that that other voice that told you all those things about yourself that wasn't God might be true, that we just move and run and hustle and you have your goals and you have your lists and you have your intentions but it is all about, I am what I do. I am what other people think about me and I am what I have the power to consume. It's about appetite, it's about approval, it's about ambition. And again, none of it, moving the needle on God's love towards you God loves you and desires you. God isn't put off by your anxiety God, to, to meet other people's needs. God isn't put off by your anxiety to meet other people's expectations. God isn't put off by your need to be someone that you aren't to hide from who you truly are because you're afraid of who you truly are. None of that. God will sit in that stuff with you and love you in it and lead you in it and through it and will be with you. And it'll be a lifelong journey for most of us probably. But I wonder how many of us don't grab onto a vision for our life because we're too afraid to move. And how many of us don't get a God vision for our life because we're too afraid of everyone and anything else and what they think about what we do and what we accomplish and what we own 
right? I mean, Jesus knew what he was doing when he was talking about, why do you worry about clothes? Some of us are worried about clothes. I mean, right, like what people think about me, the name, the brands on my clothes, how much, do, right, all that stuff. We worry about it. The cars we drive, the neighborhoods we live in, the numbers in our bank account. And we think that's our identity. We think that's who we are. And so many of our goals and intentions are rooted in that stuff. And I'm okay with you having clothes and cars and homes. I'm not saying we shouldn't. I'm just saying, are we willing to go deep and examine? How, where is this, what's it rooted in? Is it rooted in the don't fear of Luke 12, because I'll give you everything you need? Or is it rooted in the fear of, they'll never say enough about me, I'll never have enough, I'll never be able to accrue enough, and so I've I've just got to hustle more and do more and be more, and it's it's just that hamster wheel of anxiety that we can't get off. Are you tracking? Cool. So those might be two ditches. Here's my question. And maybe a little bit of a recalibration. And maybe a a sort of, that's obvious, and aha. One of those. I wonder how many of us set goals and intentions and a vision for the new year or new season of our life and ask Jesus to follow us into it. Rather than following Jesus, and allowing our goals, intentions, and resolutions and visions for life to flow out of that. And there is a very subtle difference because some of us are setting goals and doing things that are good and right. But, it, but it's disordered. That, that we don't have Christ at the center The first part of that Luke 12 verse was listen to me, that we're, we're not listening to God. We're listening to what we want based on what maybe the cultural expectations are or our parents' or family's expectations are or our degrees' expectations or, or whatever it is. But, but I wonder if we've just gotten into a place where we're going, I, I think these things are, are good, so I'm going to go towards them. And Jesus, would you just like come along for the ride? Like, these are the things I want for 2024, but like, Jesus, would you just kind of get, like, would you just get in with it? Because like, I really want your blessing. But as we transition this year, or we transition any season, do we have a habit listening, of listening. And so when I think about how we transition a year, I I want to submit to us that more than goals, more than intentions, more than resolutions, what we need is discernment. I think we need discernment and I think we need a practice of discernment. And so I want to talk some, I want, to, I want to give you a definition of discernment, but before I do, I want to read like sort of an obscure verse 
And it's in, uh, it's in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. And this is just an account of David, King David's army. He's, he's about to go to battle with Saul. And so it's naming all these houses that are with him. And there's this interest, and it's, and it's kind of naming these things these, these houses are known for. So pretty obscure, and most of us, I mean, I skip over this stuff, so maybe you don't. I do, so confession. This is where the good stuff is, though. But First Chronicles 12, 32, it says, the house of Issachar, those who had discernment of the times to know what Israel ought to do. I love this, right? Like they are being noted. It's like, what is, what's special about their house? What is their house known for? Discernment, understanding. Another translation says they understood the season. Do you know what season you're in? We have goals, but do we know what season we're in? Do the goals even make sense for the season we're in? Do we know what we ought to do in the season we're in? Do we know what's changing, what's transitioning? Can we see beyond what's seen? Can we hear beyond what's heard? Can we taste beyond what we taste? That's discernment. I think about it this way. One of the first things I did eight or nine years ago when I came on staff here is we used to have this, um, this thing called Summer Discipleship Project where we would take 40 or 50 college students to Myrtle Beach for eight weeks and they would do a discipleship intensive with us. So my wife and I lived with 50 college students on the same floor with them for eight weeks with a one-year-old. And by the way, it was amazing. We loved it. No complaints, I'd do it again. Eight weeks at the beach, which I'm not really a beach person. I, I want mountains and cool, cold weather. This is awesome outside today. Anyway, so we're in Myrtle Beach and we're doing this summer discipleship project. And one of our pastors on staff at the time was coming to visit. And one of the things that I knew about this pastor is he, like many of us, has a love for really good craft coffee. And so, you know, like when you, and we were staying at a, at a sort of extended stay hotel, right? That had a, an all you can eat breakfast, all you could drink coffee out all day. So, you know, the kind of coffee that's at those places. I know some of you are laughing. I grew up in small town Pennsylvania, so we're okay with gas station coffee. I grew up, I, actually, I didn't drink coffee till I was uh, in my 30s. Anyway, fun fact. It's my wife's fault. But I knew my friend, this, this pastor on our, on our team, he, he had this love for coffee. And, uh, and, you know, the extended stay motel didn't exactly have really good coffee. But we had a pour over set with us. And so we made him this really nice pour over. I mean, you know, I'm not like a barista or anything. So some of you might know that it wasn't the best pour over. But we made him a pour over. It wasn't what was in the lobby was a pour over. But here's the thing. We didn't have like cool cups and mugs. Actually, all we had was the, the, the styrofoam. Is it styrofoam? I don't know. The paper cup that the extended stay motel had. 
So we do this pour over coffee in this cup. So it looks like when I hand it to him, it looks like he's just getting hotel coffee. Now y'all, to this moment, I'm gonna be honest. I thought all you people that like hold it up and look at it, smell it, take a, take a little sip, don't swallow right away. And you're like, it's got hints of this and notes of that. And I think it might've been grown in a cold December. And like, I thought y'all were liars. Confession, I just did. I thought y'all were making that stuff up. I'm like, it's coffee. It tastes like coffee. And you can tell a little bit that maybe it's better than this other kind. But this was wild. So my friend, I hand it to him and he takes the lid off because, you know, he doesn't drink coffee through the plastic lid. And he, he takes a sip and immediately he goes, oh, I mean, he just perks up. He thinks I'm handing him this. I'm like, you know, giving him coffee unworthy of his life, of his stature in the coffee world. And I hand him this coffee, takes the lid off, takes a sip, and he, he like stands up straight. Life has entered his body. And he goes, this is countercultures. I mean, he names the roast. He's naming the notes, the things. And I'm like, oh, dude, whatever. I go to the bag. I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's what they say is in there. Discernment. That's discernment. All of us in this room know that it's a cup of coffee. And all of us, when we take it in our hand, we'll know if it's hot or not. But some of us pause to take the lid off. And if we're, if, you know, and we'll hold it and we'll look at it and we'll smell it and we'll taste it and we'll take time to taste it, discernment. Because coffee is more than coffee. Or maybe you're more of a wine person, right? Like wine is more than wine. If you're like me, it's like, I mean, I don't even drink wine, actually. I don't like it. But I've been to the Finger Lakes in New York. And I was the obnoxious person just laughing and making fun of every one of you who, like, takes it seriously. That's what I did the whole day with my friend. We had these friends who took us to the Finger Lakes. And uh, which, is, which is like Napa Valley in the Northeast, essentially. It's like just vineyards upon vineyards and wine and all kinds of stuff on these really beautiful lakes in upstate New York. And, uh, and so we're going to all these places. Our friends took my wife and I and for a weekend trip and we're going to all these places. And, and y'all, I was that person. I was like, oh yeah, the notes, whatever. The quaff just... Like, who, what are they even talking Like, what are you even talking about? But, right, like, but discernment to the discerning, they could, they could hold it up and they could see more than I could see. And they could smell it and smell more than I could smell. And when they took a sip, they could taste more than I could taste because they took it seriously and with intention, with discernment. And I wonder if we are willing, as we transition, 
to pause enough to taste our life, to see our life, to breathe in our life and get all that it is. Are you with me? I'm talking about coffee and wine. Henry Nouwen said it like this. He said, to discern means, first of all, to listen to God, to pay attention to God's active presence, and to obey God's prompting, direction, leadings, and guidance. This is what we need. Goals, yes. Intentions, sure. Resolutions, go for it. But what we really need is followers of Jesus, and we are followers of Jesus, are we not? We order our, our lives differently than the world around us orders their lives. We've committed to following someone, a person, and that means we live a different way of life. When that baby in that manger arrived on that Christmas day, our way of life changed. There was more for us to taste, more for us to see, more for us to hear, more for us to smell in life. And at the very center of that life is the life of God. And when we get a vision for our life, are we, are we taking the time, as Henry Nouwen says, to, to listen to God? To pay attention. Around here, we call it becoming awake. Are we living a wakeful life? Are our eyes open to what's really going on? Friends, I believe we need it so desperately. In the culture moment that we're in, we need discernment. What is God speaking to you about who you are and where you are and who God is and where God is? And are we listening to God? Because there's a lot of other voices vying for our attention and not all of them are bad. Some of them you need to delete, but not all of them. But none of them are God. Are we orienting our lives first with a, with a posture of listening to God? Ruth Haley Barton, another well-known author, says discernment in a most general sense is the capacity to recognize and respond to the presence and activity of God, both in ordinary moments and in the larger decisions of our life. I love this. To recognize and respond. Well, so as we transition this year, as we move into a new season, could we take some time, yes, to set goals, Yes, to set intentions. Yes, to reflect on where you've been, to celebrate where you've experienced joy and to grieve where you need to grieve. Yes, to all of that. And though, would we put at the very center of that a reflection and a recognizing of God's presence active in our lives? I would submit to us as a pastor on this team, in this expression of God's body, in this city, in this time, in this year, 
that my hope for us as a church is that we would be people who put first and at the center, recognizing and responding to the active presence of God in our lives because we've taken the time to pay attention to God's voice in our lives. When I was a kid, I grew up in a church where every week they'd just sing this song, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We, we are experiencing so much loneliness and so much disappointment in the world. And we need hope. We're living in so much fear and we need hope. But we need God's hope. We need a hope that's built on nothing less than Jesus. A vision for life that's built on nothing less than Jesus. Goals and intentions that are built on nothing less than Jesus. You're in church and I shouldn't be preaching anything else, but that all of your life would be built upon Jesus as the foundation and as the center of all your goals and all your intentions, whether they're for 2024 or 2030 or 2050 or beyond. Amen? So I wanna end with this, just Kirby, you can come. Just maybe three sort of what ifs, three, three invitations for us as, as individuals and, and maybe even as, a, as the body of Christ. And I've already said this, what if we prioritize in 2024 awakeness to God's active presence in our lives? Not only in the big decisions and crisis moments, but in the moment to moment, day to day, week to week, month to month of our lives in all the little things. By the way, discernment isn't built in crisis, it's built in the mundane. Did you ever look at how like God called Jeremiah? I love this. What do you see? An acorn in a tree? Good job. Discernment is built in the small. Can you discern that an acorn is in a tree when I'm asking you what you see? Because if you're gonna discern the big stuff, we've got to discern the small stuff, the moment to moment. By the way, discernment is so rooted in the love of God and being loved by God. And I wanna bring this back to, because whether, whether our goal setting is really that we need to get unstuck and recognizing that whether we get unstuck or not, God still loves us or whether our goal setting is about sort of all this anxiety to meet everybody else's expectations or maybe even our own expectations. That God is love, the needle on that doesn't move. And that the primary call of our life actually is to live, the primary goal of our life is to live in that love. And to love others with that love. I mean, I want, us, I want you to live your dreams, but it's actually secondary. Learning to live loved, to love others with that love is primary. In any season, in any circumstance, in any success, and in any failure, that's the discernment that's needed. And so would we commit ourselves to the next loving thing? And then finally, 
would we consistently ask ourselves, are the goals I'm setting, am I following Jesus or asking Jesus to follow me? Because we wanna be people who follow Jesus. Amen? Do you follow Jesus with me in 2024? And then I, I want to end the, the year for, for me this way. This, this just kind of humor me for a minute. I want to read you some Henry Nowen. Can I do that? And this is, this is probably the most read book in my life. You are the beloved. It's just a daily Henry Nowen reader. So if you're the kind of person that picks these things up, Amazon probably get it to your house by the second. but this is, his, this is the entry for December 31st for today. And, and when I read it, I, I, there, there was something so powerful for me because it's, it's from his book called The Inner Voice of Love. And if you know Henry's story, The Inner Voice of Love was, was a journal he kept in the, in the darkest time of his life. He, he couldn't write. So he's a, he's a well-known author. And in this season, he was clinically depressed couldn't write, some days couldn't get out of bed, wasn't experiencing God's love or no sense of experiencing God's love, no vision for his life, felt stuck. This best-selling author who'd been a professor at Harvard and Yale and Notre Dame and all these places, just experiencing just the paralysis of depression and, and what he called anguish. And all he was able to do in this time is keep this journal where he would write a note to himself every day. So this is, this is the entry and, and maybe something for us to hear as we leave 2023 behind. And to remember the season he's writing this from. He's not writing this from applause. He's not writing this from accolades. He's not writing this from success. He's not writing this from a moment of breakthrough. He's not writing this from a moment of dreams come true. He's writing this to himself in a moment of deep inner anguish. And he writes to himself, remember you are held safe. You are loved. You are protected. You are in communion with God and with those whom God has sent you. What is of God will last. It belongs to the eternal life. Choose it and it will be yours. Amen.